What's going on, everybody? This is the Triangle Button Podcast, and with me today is Caleb, my good friend. We've been like, you know, we've been friends since like grade five, you know, ever since public school, and all the way to university. So I'm actually going to let Caleb take the stand here. Uh, tell tell the audience about yourself, Caleb. I'm glad you um, uh, almost said we've been together for almost ten years. That's, uh, yeah, um, I'm thought of that way. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a good friend of Michael's. Uh, we, oh wait, you're going by Alex, right? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't matter. Honestly, it's okay. Let's let the news out. You guys uh, can call me Michael. You know, Alex, middle name. It's all right. Continue, Caleb. You're good. Um, yeah, yeah. I know we um, uh, grew up in the same town together. Uh, we're both university students. Um, and he basically brought me here to talk about zombies and comic books and a bunch of other geeky shit. So yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, nice. Well, just like you were saying, uh, let's talk about some zombies. So as like most people know, like the last of us show has came out very recently, actually like at the beginning of the year and they've released two episodes thus far. Now we're not going to get into like too much detail in the first episode, but that second episode though, what were your thoughts on that? I going back even like a year ago, uh-huh. I was skeptical that Pedro Pascal would be the ideal Joel. I knew him from the Wonder Woman 1984 meme of saying life is good, but it can be better. Can be better. <laughs> and I thought, is this really Joel from The Last of Us? Is this really our like you know our, our strong stoical complex character? But I have to say that he is doing a good job of bringing a realism to the character and capturing the essence of Joel, but also putting a new spin on him. So I have to say episode two, I really liked for that's when I sort of realized, okay, this really is the character that I, um, yeah, that I appreciate from the video games. And I can definitely see the, I can relate to both of them. Mm-hmm. And as far as the, I mean, the rest of the episode, uh, I mean, what hasn't already been said, it's has beautiful set pieces it mm. it really encapsulates what made Last of Us great, which is that subversion of expectations in that the opening episode and the opening of that game are so bleak and set up such a dark, grim, apocalyptic hellscape in Joel's origin story. And as you meet Ellie and as you venture out into the wider world, the subversion isn't that there's some dark surprise out there, but that it's actually strangely beautiful, this, uh-huh. this apocalyptic desert. Um, and that in that death and that tragedy and that destruction, there's almost like a new beginning or a rebirth of, of sorts for nature to sort of come in and take over these cities. Um, and without spoiling the game, I think that corresponds very well to what the characters are going through um, at oh. this point. So I really like that I'm a, uh, the images, those iconic Last of Us images they have in the new episode of grass covering what used to be city streets or a vine stretching across, you know, decayed skyscrapers. Uh, so I have to say, yeah, the I really like what they're doing with Joel's character so far. I really like the beautiful atmosphere. And, um, uh, and I also like that we got to see more of Ellie and really see um, uh, Bella Ramsey shine as the, you know, the, the annoying little teenager <laughs> that we know and love from the games. <laughs> yeah, literally. Well, like, I agree. Like, Pedro Pascal, I will say, like, at first, I was like, okay, you know, I can see him in this role, but I was a little, like, skeptical, like you were saying. 
honestly, like, you know me, I was watching like any type of video trying to get any information on when they were filming this. Yeah. Even when they got like the one photo of the back shot when it was just like Pedro Pascal, like in the iconic green shirt and Bella Ramsey and like the sweater and everything looking at like the pile of like plane that was scattered across the earth. Right. And I don't know. I like ever since I saw that, I became obsessed. But that trailer, you remember, like there was just that one line, you don't know what loss is. And then just hearing that, it just sealed it for me. It did. And oh, sorry, you go, man. You go. I just said it did. No, I'm just agreeing oh. with you. It absolutely sealed the deal. Yeah, it was just, I don't know. It was just something else. I just really loved like seeing him in that role. The first episode. Okay, yeah, you know what? We're gonna talk about the first episode. I don't know, just like seeing like how like even like as a father, did you find that he was a little more like you saw their relationship, but they were still kind of closed off, even like when you saw like him and Sarah, like you know, they were like obviously, you know, father daughter, but he seemed a little more like, you know, yeah, don't worry about that. We gotta get going. Like he was already kind of like that. Maybe it's just cause like that's just who he is, so he's staying really real to his character. I don't know. What did you think about that? I think there's a, an, I think it plays well to his character mm. that there's something realistic about Joel becoming this cold, shut down, closed off man, mm. because it's not that he was person. It's not that he was one person and necessarily that the loss of his daughter um, made him into a completely different person. It's that he was one person and the loss of his daughter enshrined the worst elements of that person as being his realist and most powerful, powerful personality attributes. And part of that, he's, he's a little bit closed off even when he's with Sarah, just because he's kind of a closed off person or even Mm. see, and it's really interesting. There's a really important moment in both the show and the game and it's Joel and, Joel in the passenger seat and Tommy in the driver's seat with Sarah in the back and the driving past, there's a family on the side of the road saying, please stop. And they're waving their hands for help. And Joel's first instinct is keep going. Don't stop. And Tommy wants to stop and Sarah wants to stop. But Joel already has this, this spark in him of this is my team. Those people are not on my team. They're not part of my family. So they are a secondary concern. Hmm. Not hateful, but he is like that's a primary like thing that they need to focus on. Which, yeah, like I mentalized, yeah, yeah. Which I I definitely got that sense too. Like you're right, he's very like kind of reclusive just as a person in general. Like, and I feel like after like the events with Sarah, it was just kind of like obviously like elevated because he didn't want to feel that pain anymore. Something I really liked though was that you saw on the bumper sticker "ex military" or "ex veteran." You know what I mean? So it kind of shows like why he's so good with like guns, why he's so good with just like fighting. And it kind of gives him a well, fighting chance like in that world. And yeah, like I agree. I just like, like, you know, seeing them like, like you were saying, like on the side of the road, like just saying no, like that was very much like, you know, you're starting to see Joel for like who he kind of is, is like, he's a survival mode, cares about his family. That's it. Like even with the, even with the family that was right beside him, like the neighbors are like, oh, you want to have some cookies? He's like, no, nah, I'm on Atkins. You know, yeah. he's just like, but, you know, Sarah can go in after school. Like just, you know, doesn't want to really deal with this family, you know? So he's very like recluse, like you were saying. Yeah, it's it's funny. 
when we as people, we go through sort of life's different situations. Um, I don't think we invent, yeah, it's sort of the, I don't think we invent new personalities so much as we reach within ourselves to find the one that best fits our, our scenario. And for Joel, you could see that in him, there was a caring father and Mm -hmm. there was somewhat of a lighthearted, just, you know, man of his community. He's sort of just a brother. And there was a soldier, right? They give you that bumper sticker that there's a man who went into Operation Desert Storm, which I don't know how much you know about that operation, but it was not, not a, I'll say, a, the most peaceful thing the United States military has done. It was a pretty brutal American attack on Iraq. And it sort of shows there to give that hint to, yes, there's the Joel who politely declines a cookie because he's a bit of an introvert. And then that bumper sticker tells us there's also a Joel who knows how to kill people. This, it's yeah, right and that. he's seen some shit. He knows like how to survive and like yes. what is needed to survive. Um, and we kind of see that um, in episode one, that that terrible night that Sarah died was also the night that I think the fun dad kind of died. And all mm-hmm. we were was the, was the desert storm soldier. Um, and that's, and I mean, we can say that makes him a bad person as Chris Stuckman put him, put it. Um, well, I think that's just what made him an alive person after, after the 20 years of the apocalypse. Um, yeah. The people who stopped the side of the road weren't the people who made it after that first night. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I think I'm, uh, I, I do think that it was realistic that he was closed off in the beginning and then I'm, uh, yeah, just sort of, that was furthered by the events of the last of us. Yeah. Like, uh, man, his performance was just like really like well done. Even like changes like with Tommy, like having like a troubled past and like within like the jail and prison system, I thought was a nice change. Cause I don't know, like watching this show, you're right. It subverts expectations really well. So if you like play the games, you don't really need to kind of know the game to know that like this story, it's like, it's not like an exact cookie cutter format either. Like you're actually getting like new like details, like even the beginning when they had like that creepy sixties, like documentary, of like the or the interview with the scientists saying like how the cordyceps were probably were going to be the end of the world if it were ever to like evolve with like the you know heat of the earth like with global warming to like you know match humans and to survive which you know even like their change of date you know they're originally in 2007 in the video game which i believe it was 2007 and then instead they've changed it to 2003 which i think is great on the front of you know, you want to make it 2023, which is creepy. Like, it's the start of the year. Now everybody's, like, already in fear. Like, I just got through two years of the pandemic. I don't want to go through another one. Yeah. <laughs> I love how they did that. It's just like, let's just edge in those fears, you know? But, but what was neat, though, is that in 2003, that was, like, the heat wave was, like, record-breaking. The heat was, like, led to, like, 20,000 deaths or something like that. It was quite a, kind of huge in America at that time, which makes sense for why, like, the cordyceps would have evolved to the human form. Like, what do you think about that? Uh, I actually didn't realize there was a heat wave in 2003. I do think that, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, with the time change, I do, I think, agree that the main reason they did that was probably to make it line up with 2023. Um, hmm. So the apocalyptic future is actually, like, right now. Yeah. In the original game, it was 2013, so they actually brought it back 10 years. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. It was 2013. Yeah, The, the Last of Us takes place in 20, 
2033, like the the main game, and then mm-hmm. the the sequel takes place, I think, in 2036. Um, but or yeah, I don't know quite, not quite know what it was, but um, but yeah, no, that is. I, I think the other interesting thing about the change is that it allows for him to be that Desert Storm veteran more easily. Like mm-hmm. you were 36 in 2003, it makes sense that you would have been like a young college kid who was sent off to the 1993 Gulf War. Like that kind mm. of, that timeline lines up. Uh, the other interesting change from the game, and I don't know why they made it, but it's worth putting a, a little sticky note on it, is that in The Last of Us video game, they very clearly in the opening intro, they have a bunch of voiceovers of news clippings of different reporters talking about it. And then one of them in a very distinct voice is the president of the United States saying, with the bureaucrats out of power, we can take the steps necessary to handle this pandemic. Uh-huh. And they don't say who that is, but it's the year 2013, and they we all know that voice. Um, and it's kind of hinted of like that basically Obama Obama was in power, uh-huh. which is is interesting. I think because in the in that sense, they sort of um, uh, it felt how to put it. Um, it felt like it was implied that FEDRA and the military dictatorship was started by, yeah, by President Obama in like 2013. And it's been since then. And the original game was fairly, I'd say, apolitical. Like the reason it was Obama wasn't because the game was anti him. It was just because that's when the game was set. Wait, wasn't like Bush administration in 2003? It was. That's what I was going to get at. In 2003, the Bush administration... And the Bush administration, there's, I think, a little bit more intrigue there. If I can take this story, I'm taking making the first episode political. That's uh, okay. Hey, yeah, you go, man. Um, <clears throat> the Bush administration is somewhat famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, for its war on terror measures. Perhaps mm-hmm. a very, very strong security state and inter- introducing surveillance. And for having that, what is seen by, I'd say many, including myself, as... Um, giving the military a lot more executive power than it had in previous decades. And possibly most famously is that he made, it's a little more complicated than this, but he essentially made it possible for the United States president and military to declare a war without Congress and have like separate to operate as an independent body. And in this, in this show, I'm wondering, I don't know, I could just be my conspiracy theory, political brain, but if they're sort of throwing a, a nod to that as that when this pandemic broke out and there were zombies, that the Bush administration sort of fits as one to establish a military security state in that same way. Um, well, I don't know, but that's a that's a possible. Well, like no, like that theory isn't far off because, like, well, after like not so like nine eleven happened, like all of our security changed, right? Because that's why we refer, you know, like you know, pre or post nine eleven, because the entire like America changed as a whole to be like tight down on security in every way, shape or form. And like Bush was like immediately like trying to like, you know, take the tax dollars and like send everybody to a like bomb Afghanistan, Afghanistan, which was kind of weird when they did it too. Cause like, like we've had this conversation multiple times when like they've, when they've gone over, they're like, these terrorists, they're in Afghanistan, but then they just bombed civilians. <laughs> like, <laughs> Trained attackers on 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. But Saudi Arabia sells the U.S. oil, so they didn't really... 
Well, that's it. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying, though. Is it's like like they just went after Afghanistan for the oil, like, you know, Saudi Arabia. It's just like what, what, what are you doing? And they're just like killing random civilians, and it's like. See, there's actually like a really like cool song that I think you'd like. It's just like the Italian rapper, not Italian. I'm not American from the South. <laughs> this is an Italian rapper named Vinny Paz. And like in this song where he's like talking about the government, like he's very much a conspiracy theory rapper, which is kind of, kind of funny, not going to lie. Is that when he's like the Bush administration, he's like, you know, we kill y'all civilians because you killed our civilians. Where were y'all civilians? Like, you know, in that line, it's just like very much like, when they went over there, they, their intentions were not about trying to like finish the war on terrorism. They used terrorism as a ploy in order to get their own things, to get oil, to get money. That they only wanted to do that. And then by killing civilians, they just labeled everybody in Afghanistan as a villain now, which is exactly what they did in like the Vietnam War, right? They just like tack, they just put a giant like arrow on like the Vietnamese and said they're all the same, right? Which is like. Man, some of these like things in history like pan out that way, but like I agree, if there was going to be somebody in The Last of Us to like make it a secure like security state, like Fedra, the Bush administration makes a whole lot of sense, and he would get a lot of power in it too, because he's like now that the bureaucrats are out of the way, <laughs> we're able to focus. <laughs> like I I agree with that a lot, and that's kind of how they are, and. Uh, well, the, the, oh, sorry. You go. You go. The, um, uh, <clears throat> there's a few interesting wrenches in in the Last of Us universe that are interesting. Mm-hmm. One of them is that, and I've always sort of maintained, um, I think that like uh, the outbreak of a disease is something that generally, as we've seen in recent years, tends to be something where the left is in in favor of more state power to combat it, and the right is in a more anti-statist. Um, I don't know what you want to call it, resistant to those to those measures. Um, and on the complete reverse of that, usually military situations tend mm-hmm. to be examples where the right is in, in favor of a lot of strong security measures on favor of the government, and the left tends to be more on the side of sort of red tape. But a zombie apocalypse is a, a unique political scenario because it's a military threat of a bunch of zombies attacking your cities, but it's caused by a medical threat of like a virus or in this case, a, a cordyceps fungal infection. So yeah. it actually does, I feel like open the door in both senses of sort of authoritarianism from the left or the right. And that I'm uh, depending on what kind of threat it's sort of categorized as the other thing that I think makes sense about having it as Bush and gives maybe makes the show a little and again, it's not a political, I don't think these are political shows and movies, but maybe gives a little bit more of a, an interesting political flair. Uh-huh. Is that show, I think the conflicts in the background that even though it doesn't really affect the characters that much, is that it's more of a left-right divide. And the reason I say that is because the fireflies in The Last of Us and the world. The left. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The fireflies are definitely, they're sort of giving the hints of them being like a leftist organization. And if you look in Last of Us 2 of like the spray paint that the wolves have everywhere, it's all about like it's anti-fascist. It's very much like uh, the coast, coastal places like California and Washington and sort of, you know, that the far West Coast fighting against yeah. a lot about all the West Coast is where the fireflies are and the right coast is like just all like Republican conservative. Yeah, like th- there's yeah. a strong hint when you see these sort of 
um, yeah, the, the Seattle talks about fighting the fascists and bringing back democracy. You kind of see it's like, okay, this is a, these are sort of leftist, um, leftist revolutionary factions. Um, and the Fireflies, I think, were sort of a, at the very least, inter- I interpreted them as being sort of a more liberal um, organization than they were like a Republican gun-toting, whatever you want. Um, yeah, I, I definitely got that like um, vibe when it came to the Fireflies, even in like the game, not even the show. Like I kind of felt like they were very much like this like leftist freedom organization that seemed like freedom fighters. You know what I mean? Like that's what the vibe they kind of gave. Type leftists. Exactly. So like when they kind of came in, they're just like, you know, we're going to solve, we're going to come up with a cure. We want to like actually fight for a revolution. And then like, you know, Fedra was like, no, we're going to go state control. Now, like something that you actually mentioned that was interesting. So where you say that like, oh shoot, what was it? Oh yeah. You said like during the pandemic, you said like they were against like um, state lockdown, right? Like in like the COVID pandemic? In the pandemic to sort of steel man both sides, the left was the voice of this pandemic is real. It's an existential threat to our society and the government Mm. is going to need to put restrictions on human, just the freedoms of our citizens in order to combat this pandemic. And Mm. the right, the voice of the pandemic is overblown. Many on the right thought that the pandemic didn't exist um, or that the vaccines didn't work. And they were very skeptical of the government measures and that, um, it was a ploy to grab power, which yeah. I think mirrors the left-right divide, almost perfectly mirrors the left-right divide of the early 2000s, where a lot of like a conspiracy theorist on the left would say that 9-11 was an inside job, or uh-huh. that America was lying about the wars in order to use get more military power. Um, they were they were bolstering this threat in order to gain gain an advantage politically to break constitutional laws. Um, and curb people's freedoms in the forms of mass surveillance or airport checks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that I'm uh, that is just saying that a zombie apocalypse is an interesting, an interesting conflict because it's kind of a military threat and a medical threat. So it kind of opens yeah. both sides being authoritarian. Okay, and like we're, we're so when you're like saying in like The Last of Us, so like <clears throat> like at the beginning, so did you say like it's basically like almost an exact mirror to kind of like how like the 2000s as well as like COVID was and that like the right was the one that was skeptical and the left was actually, yeah, I guess so. Because like, just like we're saying, the fireflies were the one who were saying, look, we can come up with a cure. There's plenty of ways. We got to stop all of these, like, you know, security shutdowns of everything. And then the right was kind of like almost like the opposite. They were very much like, we know we need to keep it secure and like keep everybody locked out. So are you almost proposing like there's almost like kind of like an opposite effect or would you say it mirrors it? Yeah, the Last of Us. Well, the Last of Us. The original game came out like mm-hmm. nine years. I'm saying like eight years before COVID um, was really a was really I think earlier than that um, was really an issue. So because of that, the Last of Us obviously didn't have super predictive powers. But one interesting thing is that they seem to imply that I, I don't even know that Fedra is necessarily right wing, but they definitely are explicitly like the American military is what they spawned out of Fedra, I think spawns for like the federal executive disaster response and action or something like that. Like it, it's seen as basically it's some blend of FEMA of America's like hurricane response, which is like a government military thing yeah. and the Coast guard and like just basically the federal military. Um, so they roll it into fed. Yeah. Fedra is the, 
is the military in in another name. And the fireflies are sort of hinted at because in their opening clip in the opening dialogue, what the fireflies say is, you know, like they talk about, you know, the fireflies have taken credit for yet another bombing in recent weeks. And uh-huh. the fireflies are calling for a return to all branches of government, which is interesting because they sort of, they sort of market them as a traditional, like a, an American democracy type freedom fighters where what they're yeah. critical of is that they shut down the Supreme court. It's, it's clear that Obama or not Obama, quote unquote, <laughs> this mysterious uh-huh. president in 2013. <laughs> um, yeah. Down, when he said the bureaucrats out of power, what that seemed the way I took is that he basically shut down the parliament and he shut down the judicial branch. And he had one branch of government, which was like him at the head of a military dictatorship. And the Fireflies, what they say is their demands are to return all branches of government, that they want the democratic voice of the people back and they want elections back and that they want to, yes, they believe that there was a cure to this. Um, So it seems, I I don't know that there's necessarily too many right left parallels so much as it did seem like there was a very much, um, there was militarism versus liberalism. I would almost put it that way. Um, Mm. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's a really like interesting way of putting it. Like, yeah, liberalism versus like uh, militarism. Yeah, like, oh, man, it's just like so crazy. Like this, like the way like the show kind of portrays it. Like, it's so eerily similar to like how like COVID almost went down and like how people were doing that. Um, you know, you mentioned. Uh, oh shoot, I'm almost blanking on what it was. I just thought of something. Um. Yeah, like, oh, shoot, what was it? I literally just had it, man. I was like, you were talking about... There was something that you said. I've said a lot of things. Well, yeah, you were talking about, like, the political side and the mysterious presidents. I know that. But it was, like, pertaining to the actual... Oh, yes. Okay, I got it. So, when you were, like, saying, like, about, like, how the Fireflies were, you know, talking about a cure... Now, something I thought was really interesting in the second episode of The Last of Us was seeing, like, the microbiologists, like, going in and, like, viewing the fungi. And, like, how, like, she was, like, you know, when she, like, saw it, saw the tendrils and saw, like, like how, like, horrific it was, she was just, like, no, it's just bomb. Which I thought was, like, an interesting way because it's, like, just the immediate wanting to, like, bomb everything to get rid of it. Just because, like, obviously, like, it's highly transmittable. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because, like, in The Last of Us game, they, they mentioned that there was bombings, but they never mentioned that there was almost, like, an immediate solution. Nor did they go, like, across the world, you know? And I thought that was, like, an interesting, like, perspective to have that not only is it global, like, global, but, like, in Indonesia especially. Like, this is, like, a huge problem. But something I thought was interesting in it was that a lot of people don't know, like, so Indonesia is a huge flower producer, okay? And in the show, like, not only, like, the first, like, well, in the first episode, like, Joel mentions, like, you know, I'm on Atkins, and at, like, you know, Sarah's like, oh, do you want, like, pancakes? Like, she says no to, like, the cookies and the raisins. I like how in this show, because there was, like, a theory going around, but it's pretty much, like, that that's just the story of it, was how the fungi was attaching to uh, like the flower instead of like actually just kind of being spores, which I thought was like an interesting change. 
and I'll go on about it, like in like the research and that, but what did you think about that change? I think it, I, I think it makes sense for a few reasons. One of them is that the last of us video game was limited in that when they were making it, they were thinking, let's make an awesome game that also has a good story. What they didn't know is that as the video game, it was okay, but the story was going to be one of the most beloved, <laughs> beloved <laughs> in the history of the medium. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, um, there's a reason that people are scouring the internet. And I, for example, have rewatched all the cutscenes in the game because they're so amazing, but the gameplay is something where it's like, yeah, there's, there's better gameplay out there. Oh, but sure. also, you know, what, what that means is that they didn't focus that much on giving us cutscenes because they thought, like most games, is we don't want to watch a movie. We want to play a game. Um, hmm. We don't want some Hideo Kojima 90 minutes of CGI movie. Oh, and God. Five minutes of game. Gives me flashbacks to the game I played today, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, we don't want that. Um, no, thanks. This is an American game. We want to see things blow up. We don't care about your stupid feelings and your story. Um, which is fine. It makes sense for, I mean, how developers, developers are probably just trying to respond to the market, but in a show, there is no gameplay, right? Like we don't get to shoot things and blow up things and set traps and um, snipe clickers. What we have to do is we have to pay attention to a story. So in that we're in the show to see context, I think they're, I think adding that flashback made sense of, yeah, like I don't, um, I'm here to see more of this world and explore Joel and Ellie and the zombie apocalypse with more detail. And I think giving that flashback was, was a pretty perfect way to do that and give context. I, I will admit it did seem a little bit like it could have gone further in the amount of time they spent on it because oh. what well, is in the sense that it felt like the first flashback basically told us as its main message, fungal diseases are terrifying. And yes, if one shows up, it's going to end the world, which the game didn't have that. And we kind of figured that out by deduction. We kind of know because we see the world. Um, After 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's not pretty. We, we kind of get that, um, but it's okay. It's a show and they give us some context. And I like that. The opening to the second episode felt like the, after all of that time, it kind of told us, Hey, fungal infections were really bad. And if they show up, they're going to end the world. And I kind of felt like, okay, like this is kind of saying the same thing as the first one again. Uh, so that part of me was there where at the end of it, it just kind of felt like, um, I don't know, like not that I, I, I'm glad it was there, but I wish it went further. I wish it told us something new or in the second flashback, we're like, Oh, I didn't know I that. Thought, I thought it actually said a lot. Oh, okay. So, Maybe I sort of missed something. Okay. Like, so this is, this is why. Okay. So like, there's actually a couple of reasons I'm going to stay here. So, well, first, the reason why it was so big was because, like, yes, in the first one, it was almost like a prediction. It was a guy in the 60s, you know, he's sitting back in his chair and he's like, you know, a lot of people think it's going to be viruses, but we survived. Is that your Scottish Huh? Is that your Scottish accent? Was he Scottish? He was Scottish. Oh, well, okay, now i got to redo this. <laughs> the virus for millions of years. And like a real war, millions die, but in the end, we always win. Fungal infection, on the other hand. Like, is that not what oh. Okay, yeah, but that's not really Scottish. It just sounds like an old English accent, if anything. 
Well, I remember at the end, he's very Scottish where the, the host says, well, what happens then? And he says, what happens then? We lose. And he just oh, okay, it. okay. I can, I can kind of hear it now. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to do his voice now because I can't do Scottish accents. But anyways, it was like, it was a prediction. He was saying that like fungal affections, you know, they're like rapid. They got like, you know, he never said spores, but he should have because dude, like in the last of us game, it was so terrifying that you could just breathe it in and it's immediately like contaminated your lungs. You know what I mean? It like, and the fact that like how like spreadable spores are and the fact that they're like naked to the eye, like I think that's a scary element, but I understand why they couldn't do that with the show. Anyways, going back to what I was saying, though, is that it was a prediction. And it was the fact that he was saying if the world was going to heat up, eventually this fungal, you know, or this fungi is going to have to evolve to match the heat. And when they can match the heat, they can match the body's temperature. And once that happens, now we have a human infection that's rampant. And there's no real, like, cure for that. Now, he didn't explicitly say there was a cure. I don't think, I don't know if you remember that. Did he say there was a cure? Oh, well. Did he said no. He didn't say explicitly, but the guy said, like, how do we stop this? And then what he said is, we lose. <laughs> like, there is no way. Oh, to okay. Which so, I- he did, so he said there was no way to like, to, like, fight it. But that's okay. The reason why that was important that he stated it there was because he mentioned global warming. He mentioned the fact that this is actually, like, a threat if it were to happen. And because, like... Like research, like on fungi, was actually like still like it actually picked up a lot like during that time, like the '60s, mm-hmm. right? Because like you know science was like getting more like traction. There was like different types of fields, so like this was like really like huge. And the fact like you know that would actually like scare everybody even in the '60s. Now it's huge because immediately they show it's 2003, and that was the biggest heat wave, which is what we like talked about, mm-hmm. and like that there was an evolution, and then it was like onto like. Like in the flower and everything. Now, when we go to the second episode, the reason why that was huge is because they shot it in Indonesia and it's demonstrating that this is outside of America. The Last of Us game actually talks about nothing outside of America. Now, it is implied for sure, but there's no understanding that it's actually like outside. Right now, it seems like it's a contaminant of America. Yeah. Now, that was for number one is that they wanted to expand like their universe to apply to different areas. Another one that's huge was because, um, well, the fact that like the biggest flour mill production is in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And that's really huge. Now I'm going to like, I'm actually going to go on a little bit of like history, like right now. So with like the flour mill and everything, because you know, many people like online were kind of like wondering, like, why is it that they like talked about flour? It actually like happened like in a real life. There was a thing called like the ergot, like fungo, like our fungi. Now, this was like little like black pieces that existed like on like the wheat, and originally that has a like a lot of medical purposes. So if like somebody was giving like labor, or so you could actually like use that to like help like with the pain. Now, if you ingested it, well, no, that was a bad one. The problem was if you like that medical knowledge was lost in history. And when like somebody like grounded it up, like it didn't see the like the actual black part of it, they put it into their bread and when they ingested it, they experienced loads of symptoms. There was delirium, there was aggressiveness, there was hallucinations, and 
there was also uh oh shoot what is it called gangrene that's what it is so like literally like all of the, like the edge of your limbs are like you know basically going black and like mm-hmm. you're dying flames everything point is that was an actual real event in history and it took them a long time to figure that out and i liked how they shot it in indonesia because the ergot route like was a very real thing and it existed like during like the french revolution or actually before the french revolution attack the poor because they ate bread now in today's economy as you know bread's very huge everywhere america like europe like everywhere right so the fact that they did that in one of the biggest flour mills and like just the shock on her face when she was like boom <laughs> like yeah. because there there is no solution and you actually got to see a little up close like her fear that it was transmitted by a bite. And I don't know if you noticed, but they actually like zoomed in on the bite mark. And when she peeled back the skin, you saw like the infection underneath the first layer of skin. I don't know if you saw that or not. But they like, did. Yeah. yeah. And that was creepy. Like just like to see that it was spread. And to see like the fucking like oh what's the what the tendrils coming out of the throat? Like yeah. and how that was like in the head. Like that was just creepy. And the point of that, like that I'm kind of getting at is that it showed a second example of like, so this Indonesia, it's a world problem, biggest flower producer. So you know that it got into like the flower. This is shipped off to America. Huge issue. And the, I don't even think, and this was before the, like the actual thing became a problem because she even said, you know, there was like 14 people that they, they couldn't find. Yeah. So that was the start. So the first one was just kind of going into it like, this is what it is. You know, this is why it's a problem. But this is like the starting incident of that problem. Does that make sense? Like, this is the beginning of the infection and it started there. It is to give a bit of context to why the both scientists are really terrified is that. Fungal infections don't have vaccines. A vaccine is something where basically very simply we put like the dead viral material of a virus into someone and then it teaches the cells how to keep those viruses out. Yes. So it says, hey, when viruses pretended to be something else and getting through your membrane, don't let this guy in. We know his tricks. Um, but there is no vaccine against getting mauled by a bear. <laughs> like that just there doesn't exist. And a fungi, um, I learned this quite recently, a fungi is more closely related to a human than it is to a plant. Um, there's a reason Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about this, that, you know, no one's ever accused eating, you know, asparagus of being too meaty. But mushrooms taste meaty for a reason. It's because they are part of the same biological taxonomy that we are. Mm. And what that means is that they're really, really difficult to treat because the more closely related to, some, to you something is, the harder it is to find something that will kill it that won't kill you, right? Because a disinfectant is the name of something that will kill life on a surface. Pour mm-hmm. water all over a counter. Everything's dead on it. But we don't. you can't use that to get bacteria off your arm because that would burn your arm too. It would kill everything that the boiling water touches. Yeah. So for something to be antiseptic, means that it can kill the bacteria, but won't kill you. It's something you, an antiseptic uh, material is something used to clean living flesh. Yeah. And the difficulty with things like fungi or cancer is, is the other sort of cardinal example of this 
is that, well, what do you, what do you put inside a human that will kill this, but not kill something that's almost identical to this. Right. Uh Um, Which is why if, you know, it's even about cancer treatments, like what does radiation therapy do? Well, it kills the cancer, but it also kind of kills you and you're hoping more of the cancer than you. Uh, What does chemotherapy do? Well, it's putting poisons inside the body and hoping that, Oh, we'll hope the tumor dies before the person dies. (laughs) Like it's that kind of a model. Literally what it it weakens you entirely. Yeah. Yeah. And what a fungal infection, the problem with it is that, yeah, like there's, it's not like a virus inside your cells. It's a separate organism living in you. And it's not like something you could just pick up and take out because it's growing in patches. Um, So if you have a fungal infection, like you're really screwed in the real, I'm not talking about last of us, in the real world. If you, they're rare, but if you get one, a fungal infection is not, usually not something you, um, uh, it's not always terminal, but you usually don't get rid of it. Um, as far as I know, like you, you're stuck with it, um, which can be problematic. So in mm-hmm. the last of us, when both of these scientists find out that fungi are burrowing into human beings and taking control of their brains, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, uh, yeah, like we can't you can't do surgery on a brain to take it out of all of the places it's grown. Um, yeah. It's spidered into it. Like if something spidered into the brain, the only way to kill it is to kill the brain. That's yeah. Well, well, exactly. Because um, that's the thing. The soldiers even are like, can you do anything as if it's like a benign tumor? No, it's, it's not like it's just a patch. It's literally in you. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's literally like these fungi, what they are, they're like, it's like if cancer was contagious. Like, <laughs> it's, it's awful. It's like, yeah, you can't it's do really anything. Like, like you've, I don't know if you've heard about brain cancer, but someone gets this little bit of cancer in their brain, then it spiders out, and they just start to seemingly go nuts, or they, you know, they start acting really, really irrationally. And then it's like, well, you can't do surgery on it. What are you going to lobotomize them? Like, remove the frontal lobe? Like, the. Yeah. Um, so no, that, that's why this is really a, a terrifying concept, and um, uh, yeah, no, that's both of those scientists were on point of don't mess with that. That's also a good PSA of like, um, like if you got mold in your house, man, like watch Last of Us, you'll know, like get out of that house. Yeah, people like, don't understand. Like even mold is like dangerous. Like you know what I mean? Like you know, just from the obvious. Like there's actually a story where there was this guy. So he saw mold on bread, and then, like, I, I don't know if he was either dared or he just didn't care. He ate the mold on the bread, and he thought he'd be fine. This mold literally, like, to, like because it got, like, on the back of the throat when he was obviously, like, chewing and, like, swallowing. Mm-hmm. It, like, actually ate most of his face. Like, it actually, like, grew, like you know, kind of, like, just kept growing in his body. It didn't just die like it yeah. was. Which is why, like, you know... Now, PSA, everybody, don't eat moldy bread. Don't eat anything moldy. It's just bad because that shit's alive and it festers. And in certain conditions, it'll like, repopulate. And that's one of the great, like, you know, big issues. I don't really get, like, the logic behind anyone thinking they're immune to, to mold. Because it's like, what? You think mold's going to live in a place that's wet, warm, and filled with protein and carbon? And warm? <laughs> I mean, like, it's like wet, warm. Filled with protein and sugars. Oh, no, yeah, it's not going to look It's literally, like, all the things that, like, you need. It's all the like, things. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the you way, it's in a Petri dark. dish, son. Yeah, <laughs> by the way, it's so dark because mold doesn't like light. Like, it's really... Oh. Um, 
yeah, no. Um, that's why it's kind of silly. Um, yeah, don't. And I, I don't. I think I told you this, but when I was about three, three and a half years old, uh-huh. I slept in a bedroom in a kind of a shady rental place. Yeah. Uh, and one day, the the roof of my bedroom caved in, and just the whole place was filled with mold dust and stuff. Jesus. Um, and my dad actually told me. He said he felt guilty. He's felt guilty about that my entire life because I have this cough. Um, you, you know about it. I've always had this history. Where yeah, yeah. I got, you have asthma, yeah. Yeah, and he actually said that he actually, in his spare time, he does research to find out, like, just for his own knowledge, like, uh, would a kid have asthma if you put them in a moldy bedroom when they were three? And it is a legitimate, like... But, the, but, the, but the, he didn't know. The thing just cave in. Like, no, you, you no. can't always visibly see that. I have nothing like I obviously I'm not I don't cough and be like oh, dad <laughs> like um, God damn yeah um, but it is a real concern of um if they have told you like like I've never really found out quite what's what's up with my respiratory system and that is a possibility of like well I slept in a mold filled bedroom um for about a year there um but no it, anyways mold is a serious it's a serious threat and that's why um. Oh, sorry. Also, side tangent. Really side tangent. That's okay, man. When I was in grade six, our, I'm going to say, I'm not going to give a name, but I'll say our grade six teacher, Uh both of us science, was teaching us biology and had a list of all the different fungi that existed. Yeah. One of the fungi on that list was Russ, (laughs) which... And I remember talking about, you know, when your car is really old and there's those patches of rust growing up. <laughs> I know, she made it seem like that was like, it's a fungal infection. It's a chemical reaction. What are you talking about? It's a chemical reaction. It's a that eats iron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, that was so stupid. I remember that. I'm not crazy. I remember because I think you actually questioned her on it and she tried to be like, well, Caleb, you know, like, when you have a car and it's, wa- and it's wet with some salt and this actually creates the perfect condition for a fungi called rust. And I'm like, yeah. I remember I was kind of like, wait, what the fuck? That's that's a chemical. What are you talking? What You just said the two key ingredients. Salt and water. <laughs> and time. No, it's really in metal. Um, yeah. When, when we find out about like, yeah, you're right. Iron. When they find these veins of iron that have all gone to rust, it's fungal. If there's any remnants, it will grow. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, um, that was oh. uh, that was a food and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, but I just thought I'm a. Uh, yeah. I, oh, another thing that I thought was kind of funny on that note was that, and I just checked this, I just double checked it now. Mm-hmm. Mars is known, like the planet is known for being red because of like the rust. Like you've probably heard, like it's it's iron. It's a lot of its rust. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is a big contributor to that red color. I remember for a while thinking, like, wait, does this teacher think that the planet Mars is just a giant like colony? <laughs> like it's just a massive colony of mold. Um, like, like oh. we already found alien life. 
Fair you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised because she was always so like sure of herself on everything, even in history. You remember when like she was talking about the indigenous people versus the British and she's like, oh, the British, so stupid. They lined up and like <laughs> get murdered. And it's like, because that was, a, I was thought to be brave to like stand in a line and shoot. They were ready for like this. Like stealth warfare that they were walking in. It was meant to be honorable, not stupid. They <laughs> knew that people figured out how to hide. That wasn't that they hadn't invented hiding yet. It was that they didn't think it was honorable to hide behind a tree, then run out and stab someone. You know, they. Wow. Anyways, no, that was a. I, I love that teacher, but um, maybe that not. That teacher had a lot of. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, factual <laughs> mistakes. Um, alternative. Oh my! But <laughs> yeah, no. no, but like going going back to the game, like honestly, like that entire like pandemic would be so scary because like if we took in the fact that there was actual like spores, which do exist with the cordyceps, like I don't, I don't even think like anybody could be alive that's not infected because. <laughs> In the game, they make it so you see it because it's like a dense like spores, but it makes no sense because this is literally like you can't see spores. You like yeah. they're like invisible. So the fact that like that you you could just be able to like see them and then put on a gas mask that made no sense. In actuality, like everybody would be dead because even in the documentary, I was tell like I was talking about with the ant and the cordyceps. Those like cordyceps release up to like twenty thousand spores a second, and only one particle needs to get on the ant's head. And once it does, it just immediately, like within minutes, shuts down this muscle like control, redirects it to the location so it can grow into that damp, you know, closed off location, and then it does its death bite into the ground, and then that's when the whole like, you know, like mold covers the body, and then it sprouts out of its head. And that's when it just kind of takes control. Now, oh, sorry, you were sorry. What did you say? Oh, no, I just said that's the end. Yeah, which I, I don't think it would even be possible to live in the Last of Us universe. It, like, actually. Because if you didn't somehow get, like, you know, get infected, even though it's literally impossible, as we already described. The next thing is, these things are so incredibly strong. And and that, that's what I like about the change. Like in the game, like they're strong, but they kind of like just swing. Like you know what I mean? Like they're they, they can barely walk. In this like show, they literally lunge if they see you. And that's what was great because you saw like clickers in the second one, which like if they hear you, they have like almost precise accuracy and like lunging. Whereas in the first one, like they just see you and they run crazy and they'll like even leap at you. That old lady that was like. Like a fucking spider on the ground. I don't even know what to say about it. Like that's just crazy in itself. Like I don't think like anybody would actually survive unless you had like, you know, that semi-automatic that Joel does. Even though that doesn't make sense either, because in the game he only had a pistol. Like you didn't get that semi-automatic till the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, but okay. Here's the thing: <laughs> he's still less powerful than he was in the game because in the game he had like a bow and arrow, a shotgun, a hunting rifle, an Uzi, El Diablo. 
He never had, whoa, whoa, whoa. He never had an Uzi and an El Diablo. <laughs> don't, don't get it. Don't be tripping here. Don't you trip up here and be like, he had an Uzi. He had the gang, gang, bang, bang. Like, don't, don't be talking on the channel. <laughs> he had, I remember, he had like four long, like big weapons. Like, he had a hunting rifle. Shotgun. And a, and a shotgun and a bow mm-hmm. and Um, and then, sniper. and then he had the sniper, yeah. And then um uh wait, I think the sniper rifle was just the hunting rifle. Like you upgrade it with a scope. I, oh I yeah, he just put a scope on. Yeah, and then it was like he had I think then, two different types of pistols, which was a, the six shooter, or there was the just you know, Glock. Yeah, a six shooter, a Glock, and then he also you get an El Diablo. You do get what, an El Diablo. What is an El Diablo? Uh it's like a crappy pistol with a scope on it. Um, basically, I don't want to say crappy, but in the game, it's not a very good weapon. <laughs> um, Hold on, El Diablo. Go- I gotta look this up. It's in part. Oh, two. you're you're right because you could put a scope on it. I remember that, and it's like it's actually really good if you're able to like snipe. Because well, it's, like it's, sniping it's, pistol. it's weird, yeah, yeah, because it will like shatter the brain. It's actually kind of cool to watch the, the game. He also has like shorty, which is like a mini. It's like a sawed-off shotgun. Sawed-off shotgun. Okay, yeah. see, I'm forgetting the weapons. I'm playing through it again, so like I'll see them. But last time I'm saying is Joel has like freaking the Deadpool backpack or whatever with like every weapon in the universe in it. In the like, let's be honest, like he does. In he does. The, he does. Or in the show, they're like, okay, he has his pistol, and then he probably has a knife, and then he has like. The soldier, like semi-automatic assault rifle, those are his weapons, and I don't mind that personally because I see that as like okay, like he has he's outfitted, um, that's okay, and he still has the ammo shortage, probably more of an ammo shortage, mm-hmm. because he doesn't have a thousand weapons with a thousand bullets, he, yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not mad about his his ammo abilities. I am a little bit mad about as someone on the Angry Joe show pointed out, like. Joel does have some artificial aiming difficulty with that clicker where he's like, whoa, whoa, I can't, I can't seem to hit it. And it's like, oh, okay, dude, like you've been laughing. I know, too. it's my biggest pet peeve in shows when they go like, and then like, they're going like diagonal, horizontal. They're just like, they can't hit whatsoever. It's like, dude, just go fucking straight. <laughs> oh, here's the thing. It is my take i can say that when people say that aiming in real life is way harder than it is in movies and video games they're right like i've tried hitting uh maybe i just suck at shooting but i've tried hitting like a bottle from like i want to say like 25 meters away um now this is when i was a kid uh a kid shooting a rifle but um whatever like it's just how it works um, and it's like hard because like whatever a two difference in angle means you miss it. Um, so that that is gen- genuinely difficult. Um, yeah, especially because you don't have a fucking crosshair in real life. <laughs> You're just using your imagination. But yeah. that being said, when movies have people who are like ten feet apart, and it's like okay, brother, if you point the gun at the guy, you hit the guy somewhere. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you should be able to draw mm-hmm. the line. Um, if you can point your finger at someone. <laughs> accurately then you could probably point the gun at this person and you're right joel at this difference maybe he was just scared i don't know but he was definitely he was offside a few times yeah 
you know what? We're not giving him enough credit to the fact of like just like the problem is like the recoil as well as like the like like the power from those things, right? It's like when you shoot, it's so much power behind it that it's like you immediately go like upwards. You know what I mean? So like, because like you know, like how in um like just like you were saying, certain shows they'll basically like they'll have an assault rifle and then somehow amazingly like shoot perfectly at a target. And it's like, dude, no, because even the military, like I was, I I had watched a video on it. They actually put it into the semi automatic. They usually like do it. So it's like, so when they shoot, it's like, because it's easier to aim with because when they do it the other way, really, that's just like, if there's either a lot of people in front of you in close distance, or you just need to like scare them essentially. Like, that's the only reasons why you would turn that on. Other than that, you keep it on like the like semi-automatic. So I I get that. It's just I found with the like wouldn't it have been scarier if Joel had only a pistol? Yeah, it would have been. But I also think there's something to it that the rifle adds gives him the option of more firepower. Because mm. uh, these military weapons give him the um, the ability of like basically if you shoot anything with a rifle of that size um, I don't know the caliber and I don't quite know the firepower um, I don't know, what the, do you know what the proper word is for the firepower of a gun? Um, I actually don't the, fire, um, the firepower? I don't know um, here let me look it up um, it's just the size of the bullet right? firepower of gun velocity you mean? no just the power in the chamber like there should be like how do you classify guns that have like the power of a gun. Um, I actually don't know the ranking there. Um, I think it's just firepower. Okay, I have the right word then. Um, like a weapon of that firepower is going to do damage caliber, to Caliber, you mean? No, caliber's the bullet. Caliber's the... Yeah, I know. Like some people use that like as a term of like saying something of that caliber. Like, you know, no. they, like it's technically the wrong term, but like they're using it to script. Well, it's okay. We're not going to fancy on words. You continue. Um... A rifle of that firepower, um, and not caliber. Actually, I don't. I actually found out rifles of that size. They don't have as large a caliber as you think. Like the bullets mm-hmm. aren't stupidly big. They're pretty. No, no, they're actually quite small. It's, they're kind of like they're just a bit bigger than the BB. I think. Right. Yeah, it's just the rifle that's really powerful. It's, it's shooting a small thing, but it's packing it back with that gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, um, I think the idea is that you shoot anything with that rifle, it's it's getting knocked. Like it's it's going to go through. But on the other hand, something like a pistol, maybe it takes four or five shots to really put a dent in a clicker or something. Yeah. Um, I think that might be the, the, the idea there, that his rifle can, like, that's why he missed, because if he hit the zombie on the first try, it would just be down. Whereas a pistol on a zombie would just, you know, basically, it would take, yeah, yeah. might even just get stuck in the fungi surface, fungi. Um, but yeah, no, that's... I do. I generally like. I think everything in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, or sorry, in the second episode. I think it all made sense. The action was good. Um, I like that they changed the um, uh, courthouse to or the state house to be uh, museum. No, the, no, the, at the town hall at the end, um, like the the thing that the building that blows up in the end. They changed it so that instead of being a Fedra as the threat, they made it infected as the threat, which this makes, makes sense. And Troy Baker talked a bit about why it was changed, and he said it doesn't really make much sense that Fedra in the game would be like. You mean Neil Druckmann? 
Was Neil Druckmann the one that explained it? I yeah, what... Neil Druckmann would say, it doesn't make sense because why is Frederick there? How do they even know that they're there? They just show up out of nowhere. They're just like, okay, we got to drive the plot forward. That's literally their only purpose. So it makes yeah. sense to have the infected there. It also makes sense from a story perspective that this episode is about showing what the infected world looks like. Mm-hmm. This episode showed us what the military world looks like because we spend the first half in the QZ. Second episode, the whole time they're explaining what infected do and they're fighting infected. And they set up a plot thread of Tess being bitten by an infected. For the ending of that episode to be, oh, wait, the military's back. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa like, let's, let's finish developing this antagonist. And I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with that because that means that at the end of episode two, the audience understands what we're up against. And then we can go back to fighting all the ba- big bad humans later. But right now we know what a zombie is in this, in this story, uh-huh. which makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I really did like that change because, like, obviously in the first episode, we just got, like, a little bit of the runner. We didn't actually get too much in detail. It was kind of like, okay, this is the start of it. We have a few of them, or we see more of them, but it's just, like, very brief interaction. Whereas in this one, we got a good in-depth look at the clicker, which, by the way, the prosthetics on that thing are amazing. I like how they went practical and not CGI with a lot of the things in, in the show. Like, the set pieces, like you were saying, are just beautiful. And they actually, like, it's funny when they're talking about it, because they got somebody to not only, like, have, like, the build of the clicker, but to actually sound and animate it as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of imagining, like, going to... Imagine going to an audition and having to click a certain way. <laughs> and then have, like, the body limbs, like, you know what I mean, doing that. Like, that was just awesome. But... In this episode, you got to see a little more of how the runners, like, and how the actual like, colony of the infected operated. Like, just the fact that, like, you saw them in the sun, like, how that actually was painful to them, and they flip over almost <laughs> to try and get away. Like, what do you think of that change in the tendril? Because I think that it's, like, at first I was like, wait a second, that didn't happen in the game, but then I'm like, okay, like, this is actually a neat little change. I like how they're almost connected, and that makes it... A, more scary and kind of like re-implements that fear that the spores once had. So that's almost like, Hey, we couldn't do the spores, but let's do it. So it's like a connection to steal an idea from the angry Joe show. I think it took a- <laughs> that's a reference for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think what they put it in their review was that they took out one ridiculous overpowered idea and put it in another ridiculous overpowered. Idea. <laughs> so all yeah. Yeah. Because this force, like you said, it's just this idea that, oh, look, a room just instantly makes you infected. Better have a gas mask. But on the flip side, they made it say, okay, we're not going to make rooms filled with that. Partially because it's kind of an on-off conflict. Like, oh, no, there's spores in the room. Either A, I'm infected and I'm a zombie, or B, I'm wearing a gas mask and there's no problem at all. Like, there either is fear or there isn't. Whereas with this thing, it gives a lot more freedom to, oh, crap, like, you're going to summon a horde of infected, which is going to be a better action scene than a guy saying, good thing I put my gas mask on in time. Like, I'm glad it's like, they're telling It doesn't make sense, because just like, one particle will technically get you infected, and you can't see it. It makes no sense. I think it's a a worthwhile change. Um, Yeah. There's all the changes in this have been pretty worthwhile. There's nothing I've seen where I'm like, they've ruined it. Like, 
they've all kind of made sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I think I'm uh which is good because the, like I'm uh yeah, I mean, the first game was a great game. I was worried that if they changed too much, it'd be, it'd be ruined, but, um, but no, I do like that they changed that. Also, it did lead to that, and I think we disagree on this, but I like the the zombie smooch. I have to say, it works I, with the story. I never said I didn't like well, I, I said I was repulsed by it at first. Okay, sorry. I was still repulsed, of course, but like I do kind of like how they did it, and it falls in with the theme that Neil Druckmann was mentioning, with the theme of love, and that is how they also reproduce. That yeah. is how they do it. And I like that like aspect. It was creepy. It was gross. But God, did they have that like horror element perfectly down pat? You know. Yep. Yeah, and it, it um, uh, so that I liked, and I I really did like that final moment of Tess goes into shock when it's, it's, it's like, not. Sh- I don't think it's shock though, or whatever it is. It's like uh, she goes. The, mu- like- it, the cordyceps took like it's actually like taking over her muscles. Yeah, so she yeah, she's like frozen, and that mm-hmm. last little bit of human in her strikes the lighter, and then she you see her get the flame, and I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> drop it, and then you see the explosion, and mm-hmm. I, I, there's something really dark about this universe. If we're happy to see Tess get exploded, like the fact that that's the good outcome says something mm-hmm. about the tone of this world. In that final shot of like Joel looking over his shoulder at the exploding building and then having to keep walking because that otherwise none of this was worth it. And Ellie just like, you know, in in emotional shock uh-huh. really left the episode on a, a really great cliffhanger. Um what do you what are your predictions for for episode three? What do you think is gonna go down? Um well, before I go on about the episode, like, three, I actually just want to touch on something real quickly. Sure. Like, just, like, based on what you said, like, I, I do agree, like, I it is, like, a dark universe where, like, that is, like, the happy moment where, like, she dies. Now, what I thought was interesting was that Joel's different in his reaction to Tess. So, the one detail, which Neil Druckmann, as well as the director and every like, you know, when they were in their interview... Was how like Pedro Pascal like goes back a little bit when Tess tries to take a step forward after telling him that she's infected, and I'm like, shit, that's a oh, that's a sad detail, you know. And he almost immediately closes off. I don't know if you saw that. Like everything that like he never got to like kiss, like kiss her. She never got to kiss him like that in their final part. Her last kiss, by the way, think about that was the greatest steps. I know. Imagine not only getting rejected by the man you love, because you're basically saying, like, please go on without me. I'm going to die to save your life. Mm-hmm. And then he just leans in for a second. And then after staring at her, he runs away. And it's like, oh, that's got to feel bad. And then she's sitting there all alone. And then to make things even ironically worse, she realizes, oh, I'm not alone. I have a new boyfriend. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh god. Yeah. And that's the thing because she looks repulsed but like <laughs> it was kind of like a weird like like there was like a dichotomy with it, you know what I mean? Where it's like she seemed like it was like that's like her settling, like it was it wasn't like it was twisted but it wasn't at the same time 
because I think that was like the cordyceps finally taking over her brain. And her last thing was like her like thumb just able to light it up. But what I thought was interesting was that in the game, he does not want to leave Tess. Even when she's like, go, he's like, I don't want, like, like, you know, he's like almost like refusing. In this one, he's the one who says, no, let's go. And then Ellie's like, we can't leave her. No, let's stay. We can do, we can fight him off. We can do something. Like there was like almost a reverse role with it. And I really like that change because that seems more true to like Joel. He's a survivor and he is willing to do whatever it takes to survive. Just like with Sarah, just like everything we have seen up to this point. And it's kind of weird. It's, it's, I like how this just, they show how cut off he is. Even in the beginning of the episode with Tess, you remember the little boy and he's like, decides to like he literally picks up the body in the same fashion as he picked up Sarah puts in the fire with no feeling yeah you know I, I don't I don't know that I think it's better than the game I think it's telling the same thing in a different way than the game mm-hmm. as in the game they sort of have it as the message is he lost Tess and Tess and Tess was like the, the last kind of thing he cared about um and what I find interesting is that I think he's faking it in the show. And by faking it, I think his acting close off is just a different reaction to that same emotion of severe sadness that he, he's brutally mortified that Tess is gone. But as soon mm-hmm. as this happens, he doesn't process. He just closes off, closes off. And you see, he's trying to jump the gun because if he gives him a second to feel that sadness, um, he can't, he can't, swim out of it and in the game i think we see that similarly that he doesn't really talk about tess's death like she died exactly he's immediately just killing soldiers right after yeah well he even says like ellie's like i can't i can't believe we just left her and then the game is like stop and then they never mention even with like bill which we won't spoil like too much of course like because you know we we're not in episode three yet but just to kind of give context when Bill kind of briefly mentions Tess in the game, he's still like, like closed off and doesn't want to acknowledge even her death. Even when Bill yeah. assault, insults her, he's just like, "Stop! Let's just focus on the mission." Like, and that's Ooh. he's very mission oriented, and which makes sense even with like the like how he's like a veteran in this one, which I think in the game like would have benefited if they made him a veteran too, but. Mm-hmm. Just like he is very like like closed off, and that like that's a shield from accepting because he cannot go through that pain like he did with Sarah. Once Sarah died, that was it for Joel. That they will never experience that pain in any way again, or he will not allow himself to feel the pain he once yeah. did. And exactly, I really love how the show is trying to show this in a different medium. And explore it with different situations, but getting the same result. And sometimes even better. It's like, I know, like you said, like, you know, they don't always do it like better than the game. I think they sometimes do this, like certain situations better than the game. Like just like seeing that courthouse scene, like I'm like, no, that was that one was kind of better. You know, honestly, in the game, like, in my opinion, that was. Um, I don't put, I never really put too, too much thought into Tess as a character in the game. Um, 
she's sort of just she's in there in the beginning to accompany Joel at first, and then as soon as kind of Ellie enters the story, they kind of establish okay, like then Fedra kills her, and we we see the actual progression um, of the real story kind of kicks off after that. I was going to say there's a scene in the game. It's a brief one, and you can even miss it. I think, uh-huh. but they walk up to a grave that has a marker on it. Um, Joel and Ellie, that is. And I'm not going to say what this relates to, but Ellie brings up someone from their past um, that they had to bury at some point. And as soon as he starts talking about it, he says, stop, stop. He cuts her off. Like, he's like, stop. No, we don't, we don't talk about that stuff. Um, and you can see that that resistance Joel has to... He's a very... He's a masculine, stoical warrior. Right, he's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't really say whether or not this is good or bad, but they do sort of say he's all about shutting the past out and forgetting about that, and focusing on just making sure that whatever the future is, it's as good as it can be. Um, like they said at the end of the last episode, save who you can save. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's I think kind of a uh, kind of sad about that belief, you know move on for the past, save who you can save, is that I think as much as Joel thinks he's sort of moved on from the past, and he thinks of himself as this closed, detached, um, you know, forget about your suffering, just look forward and get the mission done, yeah. is that really deep down, he still wants to save Sarah. Like, you, there's still that inkling in uh-huh. him. Um that's why I think that save you, who you can save line kind of cuts at him because there's part of it where it's not save everyone. It's not save who you love the most. It's save who you can save. Um, mm-hmm. the sort of, there's this reality to it of can't save Sarah, you know, and there's a little bit of a assault and an open wound with that, that mm-hmm. I really like. Um, I don't know. Sorry to go on a tangent there, but no, no. And, and I get that too, because it's like, that's all he thinks about on repeat, right? Is he could not save Sarah, no matter how many times, and like he thought about it, the situation he can't. And I like that, and just like you were saying, that that line really digs at him. And I don't know, like he's to me, it seems like he's in a lot more pain in the show. And this might be a little more controversial, whether it is or it's not. And the only reason why I say that is because. The first time we see after the 20 years, he gets up and what does he do? Takes a beer, takes meds, and washes it down. Because that is the best way to ignore the pain. It's like, in this one, he experiences every day. In the game, he gets up and Tess offers him a drink. And he's like, no, that's okay. And he's very, like, he's still kind of closed off to Tess. You know, they to me, they seem like in the show, they are a couple. They have a connection. And he is in pain every single day. And so is she. And that's evident like with the like boy in the flame. She couldn't do it. And I like how Neil Druckmann illustrated like a story that unfortunately couldn't get into the show, but was the idea. When she was yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic, there was her husband and her child. Now both of them got infected and she was able to kill the husband, but the child she could not force herself to do. As a mother, she just decided to lock the kid in the basement and leave. And I think that is like, 
that is just an incredibly sad situation, but it says so much about her. And oh, sorry, all I can think about is Joel saying, "You don't know what loss is," because he actually had to have his child die in his in his arms. Yeah, but oh, I don't know. Like I, I like how Neil kind of brought that into the mythology around Tess, and that explained her character a lot more. And how she wasn't able to save her son either. The only thing she could do was lock the kid in the basement. And that was what, you know, and then she left, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I think that's, this is really like crazy. You know? Yeah. I, I want to say more, but I'm going to save it for when I don't have to spoil a bunch Bro. of amazing stuff. Because okay. we have only gotten through the beginning of this excellent adventure. Um, which circles me back around to Ama, the I guess the question of what do you think of the next episode? What are our predictions? What do we think is going to be different? What do you think is going to be the same? And do we think it's going to Ama build on what we have so far? Well, I'm not going to lie. I don't really know what to predict because there was like this teaser of the next episode where Bill and Frank are there. And I'm not going to spoil like the significance between Bill and like Frank and what they do for Joel and Ellie. Now, I was surprised because they're almost hinting that the, both of these characters are important and they're going to be there for a while. So to kind of gauge how long they're going to be in, what happens, because they're going to Pittsburgh. And, oh, oh wait, was it Pittsburgh? No, what's the town called? Well, they don't Pitt- Lincoln, that's what it is. Sorry. They're going to Lincoln, and I'm very curious of how they're going to do it. I'm excited because uh, the actor who plays... uh, Oh, shoot. What's his name? I just said... Yes, Swanson. I think he's going to do an amazing job in this show. I'm excited because he just embodies the character like so well, you know? He really does. Um, I, I think I have a bit of a theory on that. Um, I suspect mm-hmm. that one change they might make, the biggest change I can imagine on yep. that note, is that they might roll the Bill um, story into the Sam and Henry story. You think? That's the biggest change. You mentioned that. You said you think Bill and Frank are going to be around for a while. And if my math is right, I think there's a very specific sequence that the episodes are going to take place under um, of, I know the third episode is going to be Bill and Frank. We know that. Um, I know that's, a, that's not really a spoiler because we, well, he mentioned Bill in the previous one. We know that's where they're headed. Yeah. Um, and later on, I'll just say there is a, in the game, after that section, there's a Pittsburgh section, which doesn't have bill in it anymore um and i think that they'll without giving any more detail than that i think my prediction is that they might roll those two together a little bit more um not that that will happen but that if they were going to change something and they wanted to i'm just thinking because nick offerman's a pretty big actor mm-hmm. uh, it would be a if they're really going to dive into the, these two characters i doubt they would just have this one episode, they fully go into this, these two characters and then they'll, now we're, we're not worrying about them anymore. I think it makes sense. Okay. Well, they might keep them around for an extra episode. Um, that's just a possibility though. Um, 
I do predict that, and I mean, if someone hasn't played the game, this won't give away much. I do think that the fall section will be over by the end of the fourth episode. Um, that's a mm. that's a prediction I have. Okay, I have a prediction. Sure. I don't think they're going to get to Lincoln until the end of the third episode. Now, you might be wondering why. I think they're going to be focusing, like, shoot, I don't know how to describe it. Because they're going to have to do a lot more flashbacks. I think that, um, I think that Bill and Frank are going to have a lot more flashbacks. And I think that Joel and Tess are going to be in those flashbacks, too. Because I don't know, like, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, in the end, because in the second episode, she says, Take Ellie to Bill and Frank. Mm-hmm. Now, in the game, you don't know who Frank is. You just have Joel say, like, you know, we're going to a friend I know. And then, like, he kind of says it's Bill, you know, when you're traveling with to, Link- to Lincoln. Yeah. So I think the fact that she said that, it's like both Joel and Tess have an understanding of who he is. And who Frank is, and they actually like have a backstory, and I think that half the episode is going to be revolving around that backstory, and then they're going to get to like Lincoln, or then maybe they get to Lincoln, but then it's like a bunch of backstory, and then they're going to like you're going to find out through like they they could say like oh I like you know falling out or whatever, and then you know we're not going to say spoil no spoilers, something's going to happen, and it's going to be a significant emotional event. And I think that's how, like, the third episode is going to go. Okay. I think that's some, uh, I will be honest. I have one big fear that's been kind of put at bay. Why? Before the show. It's that the show will, 10 episodes isn't enough for this game. Because um, remember you and I were talking about, we were doing the math before, like a year ago. And we sort of looked at, wait a minute, like, how did, how do we fit this game into 10 episodes? <laughs> like that kind of, uh-huh. um, and I, I started, I do the math now with the pace. Oh, is it, is it 10 episodes? Hold on. Episodes. Um, uh, here, I'll look it up. Um, here, no, it's okay. I'm looking it up. You keep going. Yeah. Um, wait, how many? Nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nine then. Wait, three and four. Okay. That's what I mean. So if there's um, nine episodes, nine, there are four seasons in the game. Nine divided by four is less than 2.5. Just keep that in mind. Um, mm, something's going to have to give. Something's going to have to give. And I'm afraid of that. I liked it when they announced there were 10 because I did the math. And my prediction is that they will be done fall. At the, in fact, not they will be. They have to be done fall by the end of episode four. If they're okay. not, then I'm going to be like, what? Like, we? what are we cutting, boys? Like, um, I think, well, Okay, but here's the thing. I think what, what, you're missing something here. And I think one of the things is that this isn't gameplay, right? Gameplay takes a lot more. So the story can actually be condensed into like six hours. Well, I will... I'm going to name cities off to you. Not spoiling anything. But episode three, Lincoln. Yes. Episode four, 
Pittsburgh. Yes. Episode five, Jackson. Episode six. Winter? We're just going to say Colorado winter. We're just going to (laughs) say. Yeah. I was going to say Colorado State University. Um, or do you think that could be rolled mm-hmm. in five? Yeah. Uh, um, well, because, okay. because you got to keep in mind, it's going to be a cliffhanger when that event happens, and then we go into winter. Okay, so I, that's what I was thinking. Episode five is going to be Jackson. Um, because in the game, that section of the game has two parts. There's the Jackson part, and then there's the Colorado State University part. Um, and then I was going to say, then I think... So with the math right now, episode five and six are both those sections. And then my prediction was seven and eight were going to be winter. And then nine and ten. I don't think you need two episodes for winter. You think you think winter is one episode? Yeah, because there's a significant event that's going to happen, you said in five, right? Which is like where the transition, which is going to be a cliffhanger, I think. I'm not going to tell you what happens. It's going to be like winter's the next episode. Oh, okay. Like, like kind of like how they do in the game. And then you're going to be traversing, you know, Ellie. And that entire episode could be kind of like concluded. Okay. And then we're going to get into, that's six, I think. Episode eight, we know is the Left Behind DLC. Right. <laughs> I forgot about that. That is kind of a mention, eh? Uh, damn. Which leaves episode nine is all of spring. Spring's not that long. Well, I'm going to be honest. I know that a show is different than a game, but spring has two parts in the same way that... Um, How does it have two parts? I'll say... There's a zombie part and a human part. Zombie part you don't need to focus on. But that's a, I really like that because it was so Yeah, awesome. you like that. Yeah, I, okay, so but awesome. okay, yeah, the gameplay is like difficult to get through. That zombie part that we're not going to mention in too much detail. But No. What? What? The I will just, I will... Wait, 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 what? You can't get rid of it? You, There is an important story beat there um, that cannot easily be deleted. Um, they introduce a new character with a long neck. And there's just kind of a whole section there that's hard to cut out. Wait, uh, what? I can't... Oh my gosh. Dude, it doesn't take that long. It's just a view. No, but I think there's an important an importance to maybe I uh, maybe it can be rolled in. Yes, there. it's important and they already showed like features through toys in the beginning of the first two actually within the first two episodes. But what I think the importance of it is that you need to spend time. Yeah, we'll talk about when we come up to it. We will talk about when we come up to it. Yeah, well, don't worry, everybody. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it like closer to. No um, but, but yeah, but, continue. Yes, um, that's what I'm saying. I think I think I have reached the end of my Last of Us um, non-spoiler talk of that game because I'm mm-hmm. not 
right now we're reaching in a territory that if you've played the game, you, you understand the ciphers, but if you haven't, it just sounds like two crazy people talking in secret code. Yeah. Uh, so Here, just, just give me one second. I'm just going to take my sweater off one second. Uh, wait, uh, that... I think there's... Sorry, what? Yeah, I was going to say, that being said, um, uh, do you think it's um, uh, it's time to wrap this podcast up? Um, yeah, if you want to wrap it up, or unless you wanted to talk about Spider-Man, or you want to save that for another episode. We'll save that for another episode. It feels like a good stopping point now that we've talked thoroughly about The Last of Us. Yeah, um, I, I don't think there's, there's, a, I don't think there's anything else to really say. I think that's kind of it. I think I think we're in good shape. I think we've covered most of it um, until the next episode comes out. Um, yeah, I agree. Which is going to be happening this Sunday, and I'm very excited. I can't wait. Also, I don't know if we're going to make this. You want to make this like an every Tuesday thing, or do you want to make it every like like what do you want to do? Or we're just going to just do it year by year. Well, we'll figure this out when we're not on live broadcast, um, and we're not talking about schedules on live broadcast. Oh, oh yes, that's very true. Well, I'm just curious, like as like a you know, again, we're just like this is the first one. Like to come back on, we'll come back to that. But yeah, I don't know if right. I'll be like, oh yeah, no, just after my tennis lessons at the um, uh, at the St Andrews tennis. It's like maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe we leave that. Um, uh, I just don't had a the same color shirt. Um, nice, but yeah. uh, but anyways, yeah, I think I think we've pretty much covered it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, well, looking forward to coming on again. If I'm yeah, ready. man. Honestly, like, yeah. Thank you for like so much for coming on to like the first podcast episode of the Triangle Button. Um, I'm I'm pretty ecstatic. I think this is like a this is going to like really be awesome, you know, for us. But thank you so much for coming and sharing your insight based on the Last of Us. I can't wait to like have you on like next time. Um, other than that, for all of our listeners, you know. I hope you enjoyed this episode and the content. If you want to see anything more, I have a YouTube channel by the same name, the Triangle Button, in which I go over various like gameplays, and eventually we'll like put video essays as well as this podcast on various streaming services as well as this one. Other than that, I hope you all have a great day, and thank you once again, Caleb. Catch you on the next one.